It is, and Gareth got time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get into our Bible study. 20 million people all studying the same passage of the Scripture at the same time. We're working our way through the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 8. I'm excited. It's my favourite chapter out of the whole book of Hebrews is chapter 8. It's the centre. It's one of the things I love about uh, so many of the Bible books, how they peek at their centre. And Hebrews is one of those books that, in my opinion, peaks at its end. Revelation is another one, you know, peaks in Revelation 13, 12, 13, 14, mm. you know, right there in the middle. Uh, this one peaks in its center as well. Very chiastic in nature. Very chiastic. It's a bit of a Hebrew way of writing. You know? Yeah, that's right. The book of Daniel peaks at its center. There's a whole bunch of them. They're just like, you know, we're, we're so often used to the Western uh, system where the climax comes at the end. Well, Towards the end. Like yeah, towards the, the end. Yeah. And then sometimes you can have an anticlimax as well, Yeah, um, which is never a bad thing. But, yeah, so many Hebrew books is like central thought right here. I wonder if when you watch Jewish movies, if it's just like the epic stuff happens in the middle and then afterwards it's just boring. It would be interesting to see some, and someone creative needs to make a movie based on this principle where everything in the first half points to what happens in the centre and then everything in the second half reflects on it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It would be an interesting movie yeah. to watch, wouldn't it? Oh, that's cool. But before we get into our Bible study, we're going to yes. have our clue, our quiz question. So for Let's 400 points, what mountain was the setting for Moses' encounter with God in a burning bush? 0491 is the number to call if you know the answer. For 400 points, you can take a selection from our bargain books. But, again, that question was, what mountain was the setting for Moses' encounter with God in a burning bush? 0491 give us a call or a text. Fantastic stuff. Well, we've got some uh, text messages here. Speaking about text messages, let's read a few. Let's see. Wailing. Here we go. <laughs> Hurrah for vegetarians. Before I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I ate just about anything that moved. Did you eat whale? But I don't, don't but here's the answer. But I don't recall ever eating whale ah, meat. Okay. I suppose it would taste very oily, question mark? I would think Probably. so. Probably. Whale yeah. oil is a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, China actually printed... Many of the Bibles in, dis- in distribution over the years due to the cost factor. Mm. As far as a Bible from the Chinese government, it's blasphemy. It's like the devil writing his own version of the Bible. This so is, this is true. true. And we all know he hates Christ and his followers, and his only plan is to destroy Christians. My concern is this Bible will end up being sold worldwide. We can only imagine the results. Um, and then we have this text message here, Creation Week. Interesting, that includes the health message, air, sunshine, exercise, gardening, water, vegetarian diet, uh, conversation with God for mental health. It's mm. got it all. Never actually saw it that way. Me either. Until Dr. Justin Jackson started coming on the show and sharing it with us, wow. which has been absolutely amazing. All right. Can you imagine on the Chinese Bible, Michael says, can you imagine what they'll put in the prophetic books? It will How just be stacked with them? CCP propaganda. But Okay, but the first step is, like, they have to understand the prophecies, right? Like, it's pretty easy to read a story about Jesus telling people not to stone someone because they're also sinners. But, like, to understand what's going on in the prophecies and then intentionally make them, like, and that's wrong. exactly why... The prophecies were written 
In symbols. In symbols. Oh, so good. That is exactly why they were written in symbols. Mm. People ask me all the time, like, oh, why did God make prophecies so hard? Why do you write it in symbols? Because he's a genius. For this very reason right here. When (sighs) God was writing about world powers that would have the ability to be able to corrupt the word of God, he put it in symbolism. Mm. So those world powers would not feel the need because they wouldn't understand. They wouldn't feel the need to corrupt it. There's actually an interesting now. They were corrupted. Don't get me wrong. I'm oh not, yeah, you know, yeah, there's, yeah. There's no question about that. But it's going to be they're going to protected because of, they're going to struggle to actually make sense of are. it. Yeah, they are. There's actually an interesting correlation when you read through Bible prophecy and think about like how prolific those prophecies would have been in their time. Um, and like who those po- prophecies were speaking about when less people had access to the prophecies about a specific time or person or whatever, the Bible will just straight up use names. Um, but when more people have access to it, the more steeped in symbolism it gets. And with the book of Revelation being the last book of the Bible written and then f- following the book of Revelation would be like the prolific rise of Christianity into the dark ages and whatnot, and then all around the world today, where it's like one of the biggest religions. That's why the book of Revelation is the most symbolic, because so many people have access to it, and and God is really doing his due diligence and making sure that those symbols are symbols that represent something rather than just going by name. Because there's plenty of times where God's just like, oh, yeah, Cyrus the Great will, like... Be, be the king and oh media media persia and greece will be the following you know world superpowers and stuff like the bible just straight up says that and it came true in history but then there are times where like specifically in revelation like god is really trying to make sure that it's tough to figure out for the sake of protecting his people which is incredible it is it is absolutely uh you're worried about the chinese acts 9 6 Acts 9 6 omits Saul's question, what will you have me do for a more modern translation? This paints God's character as coercive, mm. like Satan. And this is an interesting thing because, you know, you in, in, in your more modern translations, they are there are typically a whole bunch of passages that are left out. Mm. And, you know, you say you take your NIV, there's like 200 omissions in the NIV compared to the KJV. Mm. And most of those omissions are going to actually, they do actually have an impact on your understanding of the character of God. Totally. Uh, The thing with those omissions is that you will still, there is still enough in the Bible, you know, because the Bible is a big book to have 200 omissions is a small percentage and there's still enough there to find God. Mm -hmm. I doubt that there will be enough left in the communist version to find God. Maybe there will be. Who knows? I used to make the claim, like... God will certainly use it because he'll use everything he can. But, yeah, but still at the same time. I used to make the claim to people, and I I I still stand by this claim. I'm like, I can... can, You can teach God's word from any Bible. Like, you can bless people, particularly when it comes to, like, doctrinal studies. Like, I really believe you can teach from any Bible. You can use pretty much any translation out there. With some translations, more difficult than others. But yeah, some of those translations, you're going to have a really hard time. It's really struggle. But I really feel like in the, at the end of the day, God's word can come through. But when you have Bibles like this, and there's other Bibles out there that attempt the, a similar thing to ultimately try to change God's word to fit an agenda. Yes. Um, and this is just doing it not even in a sneaky way, but like, you know, not just by adding maybe an extra apostrophe or, a, you know, an S here and there to infer things that the Bible isn't saying. This is just straight up, like... Rewrite the Bible. Rewrite, ex- like, the story that happened. 
and actually write down the opposite of what the Bible says. Yeah, that's right. So this is like at another level of just heresy, dude. Oh, yikes. Wild stuff coming out of the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Why on earth are we having... uh, Why on earth are we sending... Why why on earth did we send (laughs) athletes over there? But anyway, whatever. It's all over now, so that's a good thing. (laughs) All right, Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Let's dig into it. Here is the main point. Oh man, when it starts like that, it's like, hey, here we go, guys. We're in the middle of the book. We're in the middle of the book. It's the main point. Here is the main point. We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the throne of of the majesty of God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest, stop there. Stop there. Oh, okay. We'll we'll, we'll delve into these couple of verses. Okay. All right, so up until this particular point, we've had Paul building this argument that Jesus is our high priest. Yes. That he is the greatest high priest. Yes. That he is greater than Abraham. He is greater than Levi. He is greater than any other priest that has ever lived. Mm. And the reason that he is the greatest priest is because he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Mm. Uh, and so now he's going to summarize and and bring out his main point, which is we have a high priest who is sitting on the right hand of the majesty in heavens. Mm-hmm. That's it, plain and simple. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord built and not man. So we've got two issues that come in here side by side together. And we have to ask ourselves the question, which one is the most important of the two? The first issue that Paul addresses is the fact that we have a high priest who is sitting on the right hand of the Father, Mm -hmm. and that's Jesus. Mm -hmm. The second point is that he is sitting in the sanctuary or the temple in heaven. Mm. So here's the question that I get asked sometimes. Which is more important, the reality of the temple in heaven or the ministry of Jesus in heaven? Come back and talk about that one. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. So it's it's a question that gets thrown out from time to time. Mm -hmm. Because I talk about the fact that there is a sanctuary in heaven. Because the Bible says so. Yeah, this is like, I'm so, I'm surprised at how clear the NLT is here. Yeah. I'm I'm like, yep, there, you know, there is, um, he goes and ministers in the heavenly tabernacle that was not made by hands, but made by God in heaven. And I have so many people who come to me and say, oh, there's no actually, there's not actually a sanctuary in heaven. I'm like, all right, first of all, why do you want to say that? What harm is it if there's a sanctuary in heaven? How does this damage my view of God? How does this somehow mess with the plan of salvation or mess with my theology or mess with anything else that the Bible teaches? How does it mess with the character of God? Mm. You know, why why do you want to insist that there's no sanctuary in heaven? Mm. And the second thing is, well, the Bible says there's a sanctuary in heaven. What's wrong with actually believing that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow, the Bible said it. <laughs> Why is that hard to believe? Yeah. Why is that difficult? Why is this a problem? Mm. It just kind of says it in really simple language. There is a temple in heaven. This isn't a mystery, you know. And so then, so then, you know, they'll come at me and be like, oh, but what's more important? What Jesus is doing in heaven or whether or not there's a sanctuary? Which is one of those red herring questions. Like, because and this is my answer. My answer is this. They are both equally important. Mm. 
Yeah, because they're both mentioned in the same passage. Exactly. And, and, they, and in fact... When, when the Bible says there's a sanctuary in heaven, if I can't believe what the Bible says about there being a sanctuary in heaven, how can I believe what the Bible says about what Jesus does in heaven? Or about literally anything. Anything yes. in the Bible. If, I, if I'm like intent if the- on disqualifying like a biblical passage, then why don't I just disqualify everything that I don't agree with? I'm like creation salvation you know um the ten commandments like why don't i just throw those out as well and this is what happens is you have people who will say yeah we believe in the bible except for the first uh seven chapters or 11 chapters mm-hmm. and just, you know don't so believe we, we believe in the bible except for you know creation and the flood mm-hmm. uh well if you're going to cut those chapters out of the bible how do you have john three sixteen? how do you not throw that one out yeah but uh, and then and then so, sorry, I'm. <laughs> no, 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 I keep no, no, <laughs> but the next one that people try and cut out is the Ten Commandments. So they cut out the first eleven chapters or seven chapters. They cut those out, everything up to the flood. Mm-hmm. Then they cut the Ten Commandments out. Mm-hmm. Then they cut the sanctuary out, mm-hmm. the sanctuary in heaven out. And then you like, then you just cut every story. Like, how can we? If there's no Ten Commandments, then Moses doesn't exist, right? Uh-huh. Like, and, and think about all the miracles that Moses did. Uh-huh. If we don't believe God can like create the world and do all those things, flood the world, all those, like, well, then how could he part the Red Sea and, you know, cause a great tornado that is fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day that protects the Israelites and gives them manna from heaven? Like, like, why would you even believe that if you don't believe everything else? So we sit here and give the Chinese Communist Party a hard time. Yeah. Because they're cutting things out of the Bible and changing things. Yeah. And we're just as bad. Yeah. That's right. Christian theologians are every bit as bad as the Chinese Communist mm-hmm. Party because it's like, well, I don't really like this bit, so I'll just cut it out. Mm-hmm. All right, so the Bible's pretty clear here. Let's look at some other passages real, re- re- really, really quick. Uh, let's go to Revelation uh, chapter 4. Yes, sir, Revelation chapter... Oh, While we're turning over there, uh, let me just see here... Uh, yeah, Revelation, Revelation chapter, chapter 4. four. Yeah, why don't you just read for us? Um, let me see here. Verse. What am I? Oh, I'm missing a page out of my Bible. That's not, <laughs> that's not ideal. Uh, where did that page it's, go? It's it's bitten him. It's like <laughs> this is the first time I've actually my Bible's been falling apart forever. And this is the first time. I've actually wow. And we're page. sitting here blaming the Chinese Communist Party for cutting things out of the Bible, and Lyle's missing whole pages in his All Bible. Right, let's go and read verse four, five, and six. Okay, that, that'll get us there. One of those verses is going to have in it what I want. The Bible says twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them, and they were clothed with white and had gold crowns on their head. From the throne came flashes and lightning and rumble of thunder, and in the fr- in the front of the thrones were seven torches with burning flames this seven this is the sevenfold spirit of god in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal in the center and around the throne were four living beings each covered with eyes back and front okay what you're going to find when you read through the book of revelation is you're going to find allusions and uh, pictures of the sanctuary um over a hundred times book of revelation is full of stuff about the sanctuary. And right here, uh, in my translation, it says there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, think about that for a moment. Mm. Whereabouts do you find seven lamps of fire? In the sanctuary. In the sanctuary. Okay, so let's turn over a little bit further here. Let's go, ooh, where will we go? Let's go to chapter Mm 8. And let's read verse 3. 
The Bible says, Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people and as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. Okay, so where do you find a golden altar for burning incense? In the holy place of the sanctuary. In the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. This is the sanctuary right here. Let's go to chapter Mm 9, and let's go to verse 13. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 13, When the sixth angel blew his trumpet, I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the golden altar in the stands in the presence of God. Uh, Where do you find a a golden altar with four horns? In the sanctuary. In the sanctuary. Go to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19, Then in heaven the temple of God was open and the ark of the covenant of his the Ark of His Covenant could be seen inside the temple. Lightning flash, thunder crashed and roared, and there was an earthquake and a terrible hailstorm. Okay, so just in the first line there, <clears throat> and the temple of God was opened in heaven, or the temple which is in heaven was yeah. opened, I think your translation yeah. says. Yeah. You know, this is really plain English. Yeah. This is not difficult stuff to understand. And like you said, it's right through the book of Revelation. Like I was just reading before in chapter 1, and it's like when John first sees Jesus... He's standing in amongst the seven golden candlesticks in the sanctuary. Like Exactly, exactly. If you're going to read Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19 and say that there's no sanctuary in heaven, you're going to have a PhD to come up with something like that. You know, A normal person is just going to go, oh, there's a sanctuary in heaven, and move on. Yeah, you, you can't like spiritualize it away. Like it just, The Bible just says it. If you're going to spiritualize that away... It will require a PhD. Mm. <laughs> oh, I've offended all of our uh, our PhDs out there this morning. I, I do apologise. I know that. Uh, nah, that hopefully most guys, of them agree with us. You guys are Faith FM listeners, so you're on a straight and narrow. <laughs> God bless you. Uh, let me see here. Let's go to Revelation 14. Why don't we go to Revelation 14? Oh, I love this. Revelation 14. Uh, verse 15. Verse 15, the Bible says, Then another angel came from the temple and... Oh, sh- what, 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 what? Another angel came from where? From the temple? I didn't think there was one of those. Anyway. (laughs) Um, Yep, keep going. Finish the verse. Uh, And shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come, and the crop in the earth is ripe. And and read verse 17. In verse 17, the Bible says, After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. From where? It came from a temple in heaven, Lyle. It says it right here. I read it. I read it on my page. And he also had a sharp sickle. Uh, verse 18. And in verse 18, then another angel who came, uh, who had power to destroy the earth with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with a sharp sickle, swing your sickle, and now and gather the, cr- the clusters of grapes from the vine of the earth, and they are ripe for judgment. Okay, so I think you'll get the point, right? Mm-hmm. He goes through the book of Revelation, which is obviously all about the end of time, and there is no book in the Bible like the book of Revelation to give a picture of heaven. Mm. You know, if you want to know what heaven looks like and and what the throne room looks like, any of that kind of stuff, you're going to have to study the book of Revelation Mm. because it's the only place really in the Bible that's going to give you that kind of detail. And over and over and over again, it has this really simple thing in it that says that there is a temple in heaven. Now, that being said, the counter-argument to everything that we've said and what a lot of uh, evangelical Christians believe today is, no, this is talking about the temple in Jerusalem that we have to rebuild so that Jesus can come back. But unfortunately, the Bible says the temple in heaven, 
That's right. Uh, You've got to read those words in heaven. In you can't heaven. Those ones. Because there clearly is a contrast going on here in the passage as well. It says, in heaven, on earth. Yes. There are, there are people coming from heaven, the angels coming from heaven, to reap a harvest from the earth, to take those who are on the earth, us people, to heaven for judgment. Yes. That's like, it's this clear contrast. And it's, it's so there's no way that you can interpret this temple in heaven as being on earth. No, it's a temple in heaven. We don't need to rebuild a temple in Jerusalem made out of wood and stone and brick. Like, this is very clear. Temple in heaven. That's what we're dealing with. The one in heaven is probably a few light years across. Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it is there, and the Bible is very clear about that. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is The Breakfast Show. We're talking about the sanctuary in heaven. Uh, Rafi's got uh, texts through to say, No sanctuary in heaven. No salvation for humanity there. They don't understand Ooh. what Jesus' ministry in the sanctuary is. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a strong statement, but the thing is, if you cannot believe what the Bible says about one thing, you cannot believe what it says about the other. It so is that true. simple. Mm. All right. All right. Uh, 500 point clue for the quiz, Lyle. The final I'm so one. I'm so excited about this Bible study. I just want to get into it. <laughs> for 500 points. How many of David's men broke through the Philistine lines, the Philistine lines, to bring him a drink from the well at Bethlehem? Wow, that's okay. that's an epic. So I actually read this recently. It's a cool story. Yeah. So how many dudes are like, David's really thirsty. He needs a drink from the well of Bethlehem. Yeah. Got a certain taste. Yeah, you know, he, you know, it's it's his hometown water. Mm-hmm. They're like, they got to bring it to him. How many, how many dudes? 0491 is the number to call. Uh, for 500 points, you can win our prize for today, which is Surprised by Love, a study guide workbook, a 10-week Bible study series for women by Elizabeth Vera Talbot. So if you are a woman or you know a woman, which I assume is the majority of us, hopefully, um, you can give us a call, 0491-064-669, and you can win that series of study guides slash book. But again, for 500 points, that question was, how many of David's men broke through the Philistine lines to bring him a drink at the well from the well of Bethlehem? All right. You know the answer. You know how to give us a call. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 21. And oh, let's go. And verse 22, what, what, what are we going to find here, Lawson? What's it going to tell us? Oh, I don't know, Lyle. I'm, I'm, I might be... Uh, Oh, oh, actually, here we, go. here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So what's going on? This is the New Jerusalem the Bible is speaking about. There's no temple in the New Jerusalem. The Bible is crystal clear on that. So is the Bible contradicting, contradicting itself? itself? Ooh. <laughs> is the Bible contradicting itself? This is an interesting passage right here. Okay, so there's a couple of things we've got to stop and think about. Up until this particular point, the Bible has been speaking about the temple that is where? In heaven. Is there any reference to the Bible to the temple in the New Jerusalem? No. No. The Bible doesn't anywhere say that there is a temple in the, in the New Jerusalem. Mm. There is a temple in the Old <laughs> Jerusalem, and so a lot of people just assume, well, if there's, no, if there's no temple in the New Jerusalem, then there's no temple in heaven. That's mm. an assumption. Yes. The second thing is, what is the purpose of the temple? We're going to get into this in more detail, but let's just sort of throw it out there for uh, for now. Well, for the earthly sanctuary, yes. the purpose was to bring in the blood of the sacrifices. To do what? To forgive sins. To forgive sins. Yeah. 
Okay, Revelation chapter 21. When Revelation chapter 21 takes place, is there any sin? I hope not. <laughs> yeah, yeah like... goes on to say, uh, what it says here, uh, they shall bring the, uh, verse 27, they shall in no wise enter in anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but those which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Yeah. There, there's no sin. There's no sin. Mm. So there's no need for a sanctuary in heaven. Mm. The second, the third thing I'm going to point out is where, where is the new Jerusalem when uh, this takes place? Um, is it coming down onto the earth? Coming down onto the earth. Yeah. Okay, so my question is this. When we think about the sanctuary in heaven, we look at the size of the new Jerusalem, it's rather large. Mm-hmm. But is our earth big enough? Wow. To contain the heavenly temple. Yeah, and the the presence of God, like, in the heavenly sense. Well, presence of God comes down, and I get that, I understand that. But when you read about the temple that is in heaven, in, say, for instance, Daniel chapter 7, we are going to read those passages. It is so large that the assembled hosts of the entire universe mm. can be in just the most holy place. Mm. Wow. So could you actually fit that building on earth? I don't know. Probably not. Probably not. Mm. Uh, and, and, and why would you need to? Because sin and sinners is done. It's over. Yeah. It's finished. Mm. That's, that's actually, Lal, that's so true. Before sin, there was no sanctuary on earth. True. Right in the Garden of Eden. There was no temple. There was no temple. They didn't that's need right. one. Mm-hmm. Because they, they were hanging out with God. Yes. But then the temple that they built on earth was so that God could dwell with them. So they needed a model of something in heaven because the earth was no longer kind of part of the heavenly kind of celestial network. They cut themselves off. So they needed somewhere for God to dwell. So they built a pattern of things in heaven. But when there is no sin, Mm -hmm. then it will just go back to how it was before. They don't need a temple because God is just dwelling with them because there is no sin. No, there is nothing that needs to contain God's presence anymore. So there is only need for a temple specifically in God's dwelling place in heaven. It's an interesting thought. I'm going to get some interesting text messages on this one, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please, please do send them through. But here's another point that uh, people often raise with me. And they say, okay, so Jesus went back to heaven to minister in the sanctuary in heaven. Mm-hmm. Does that then mean that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus has been locked in a tiny box? Uh, well, you'd ask the same thing about God, right? Has God been locked in a Has tiny God box? been locked in a tiny box? Because he's like on his throne. And people say, well, that's ridiculous and unreasonable, so therefore uh, the Bible is wrong when it mm. says there's a temple in heaven. And I'm like, no, that's not how we judge the Bible. We don't bring our reasoning to the Bible. We bring, our, bring the Bible to our reasoning. Mm. So that's the first point that I would make. The second point that I would make is that if Jesus decides to go and lock himself in a tiny box for 2,000 years, then that's fine. It just demonstrates how much he loves us. Yeah. The third thing I would point out, as we did earlier, let's read it in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, yep. Daniel chapter 7, let's go over there. Uh, We know that the judgment takes place in heaven. This is a picture of the judgment. We know that we just read that God's throne is in heaven. The sanctuary that's in heaven. That's what Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says. Uh, Let's go to Daniel chapter 7 and let's read here verse 9. In Daniel 7 and verse 9 and 10. 
9 and 10, the Bible says, I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient Ones sat down at judge. His clothing was white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on the fiery throne and with wheels, uh, with wheels of blazing fire. And a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him, and millions, many millions more stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. Okay, so we read this particular passage here. How many, how many people, how many beings were there present when the judgment takes place? Millions and many millions more. Yeah, so that's not a tiny box. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so there's the first point is that, okay, if God wants to, he can and he will. Mm-hmm. If he wants to be in a tiny box for 2,000 years, he can and he will because he loves us that much. The second point is, well, it's not a tiny box. Yeah. And the third point is that God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. God can come and go as he pleases. He's omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. Believing in a sanctuary in heaven where Jesus ministers and mediates for us in no way takes away God's sovereignty. Yeah, that's right. So what is the problem here? Where is the difficulty? I just don't understand. People will come up with any excuse at times that they can to disbelieve a passage of the Bible because by disbelieving that passage, it may in some small way benefit their agenda. That's right. Or the impli- like annul the implications, which yes. the implications of a temple in heaven is that there will be judgment because that is like that's kind of the that's, per- that's kind of what's, what it's all about. That's kind of what's going on here in Daniel chapter 7. And that's absolutely awesome and amazing because that's how sin is eradicated from this earth. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. On with the show. Right now, we're going to have a question of the day. But before we do, we're going to read through some of the quiz answers. For 100 points, the answer was love slash charity. For 200 points, the answer was Samuel. For 300 points, the answer was James the Greater, or as uh, as Shell's put down here on the uh, on the iPad, Big James. If you said that, then you would have been correct. For 400 points, the answer was Horeb or Mount Horeb. And for 500 points, the answer was three. And shout out to Ethan, one of our incredibly young listeners listening along. He called us up and was like, hey, I, I saw in the in the video about this story that there was only three guys who went and got, them from the, got water from the well in Bethlehem and brought it to David. So it's got to be three. And he was correct. The answer well done, was three. Ethan. And he has won the prize this morning. Okay, a couple of text messages just came through here. Um, Raphael says, one day to God is a thousand years on earth. So even if wow. he stayed in the sanctuary 2,000 years, it's only two days for him. But he continues <laughs> on, so I don't believe that he stayed only in the sanctuary myself. The earth is his big foot, is his footstool. Mm. He's a big God, absolutely, and he's sovereign. He can go where he wants and do what he wants. That's right. But right now it is time for... Question of the Day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day is, why did Rachel steal her dad's household idol? So this is an interesting story. So when Jacob, and we're going to come to this as, well, we're actually um, halfway through it with Barand, uh, with our story of uh, the book of Genesis. When uh, when Rachel, when, when, when Jacob decides to leave, uh, his father-in-law, he calls his wives together and says, look, you know, your, your father has changed my wages ten times. He has tried to make us poor. He has, you know, tried to withhold from us, you know, any kind of anything that belongs to us, etc. Um, and God has shown me in a vision that I should go back to the promised land. And his wives, they say, look, 
we're with you because by doing all of these things to you, he's done it to us. And if he treats his own daughters like this, we don't have any inheritance here, so we may as well leave. Whatever God has said, you do that. And so they left, and they left secretly, and Laban was pretty upset about it. And Laban said to Jacob in verse 26, What have you done? You have uh, stolen away unawares and carried away my daughters as captives taken with a sword. Well, actually, they were the ones encouraging Jacob to go, but anyway, that was how he felt about it. Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and did not tell me that I might send you with basically a party and with songs and with tabrets and harps, and you have not allowed me to kiss my sons and my daughters. You have done foolishly in so doing. It is in the power of my hand to hurt you, but the God of your father spoke to me yesterday night, saying, Take heed that you do not speak, you speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now though you would be gone because you belong unto your father's house, yet you have stolen my gods. Now, this is interesting because Laban Mm. accuses Jacob of stealing his gods. Now, Laban shouldn't be worried about his gods being stolen because his gods have done nothing for him, and he knows about Yahweh, and he should be a servant of Yahweh only, but it seems he has collected a few other gods along the way as well. Uh, And Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, you know, um, you would take your daughters by force from me. Uh, with whoever you find your gods, let him not live, for our brethren discern uh, you what is with me and take it to you. For Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. Stolen them. So Jake, Jacob's like, no one stole your gods. Have a look through the camp. You can find the gods anywhere. They're not here. You can have their life if they stole your gods. Mm. Uh, Laban went into Jacob's tent and in Leah's tent and in the two maidservants' tent. He didn't find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. And Rachel had taken the gods and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. Laban looked through all the tent but didn't find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise up before you, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched but did not find the images. So she's sitting on top of the gods and she's like, Oh, I'm on my period. Don't don't make me move. And so he was like, Yep, not going to go there. Mm. And uh, so she managed to get away with his gods and her life. And what it does show is that uh, the family of Abraham that stayed in Syria was wandering into idolatry, and it shows Mm. how easily human beings can go into idolatry, and it had even infected Jacob's wives that they were obeying Yahweh and at the same time dragging along false gods with them. And, of course, Jacob had to uh, get rid of all of those gods when he found out about it sometime later. As you go through this day, don't forget to talk faith, to live faith, to act faith, And you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. God be with you till we meet again. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsel's guide uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Until we meet. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.